0: Mark chapter 15 verses 25 through 35. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription on the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani?" which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen. He is calling for Elijah. This is the Word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you, Debbie, for reading our scripture this morning. We are in the fourth week of a sermon series, listening to all that Jesus has to say from this place listening to the final words of Christ as he was dying on the cross. The first two weeks, we heard words that centered on forgiveness. Words that said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And today you will be with me in paradise. And last week, we heard words that centered on relationship. Pastor Monica shared the message with us about those words. Behold your son. Behold your mother. Today, we hear the fourth of those final words. In the four Gospels, there are seven of these final sentences. Today, we hear the worst and the best of them. And many believe that if we hear no other words Jesus says from the cross that we be certain we hear the ones Jesus says today. In my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's gut-wrenching, right? Unsettling, disturbing, and they draw us in. Would you pray with me? Help us, Lord, as we are at your cross today, kneeling in our hearts and listening to all that you would say to us. Help us to understand these words that you offer today. And Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our Savior, our Rock, our Redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. When the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, there was a group from the church that I was serving at the time that invited me to go with them to see it. Perhaps you've seen it. It's a movie that seeks to capture the last 12 hours of Jesus' life as he was dying, as seen through the artistic lens of the filmmaker. The group that we had at the, theater that, at the theater that day was so large that it was hard to find a place where we could all sit together. And don't you know, the only place where we could all sit is the one place where no one wants to sit which is, of course, the first two rows of the theater where the sounds of the flogging and crucifixion of Jesus were way too loud in our ears and the scenes of the flogging and crucifixion were way too graphic and way too large in all their gory details. There were times when I wanted to look away But I remember thinking, I never want to see this movie again, so if I'm going to watch it, it has to be now, and then I'd look back up at the screen. Others around me had tears rolling down their faces. And as I watched it, I was reminded of some things in my life, and I knew there were some trauma triggers in there for me, and so I would make myself look away from time so I could make it through the film. I was really like a kid who watches a movie like this, you know, (laughs) when there are things we want to see and don't want to see all at the same time. In that movie, when Jesus utters the words that we hear him say today, it is meant to capture the crux, the cross of the suffering inside and out and the height of physical, spiritual, and emotional pain. And Jesus says in Aramaic, which is the language that he spoke, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. In English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's gut-wrenching, right? Unsettling. Disturbing. They are words we hear and don't want to hear. It is a scene we see and don't want to see. These words of Jesus are the worst of the final words and paradoxically the best. They are also the only final words that Jesus shares in the gospel of Mark from the cross. And the only words that Jesus shares in the gospel of Matthew from the cross, they are not found at all in Luke or John. Why is that? Each gospel writer portrays a slightly different portrait of Jesus. They make use of different traditions and stories. It's not that one is correct and the others are wrong. Each gospel writer has something particular to communicate about who Jesus is. For example, we know that Jesus is a human being walking around in the Middle East, and Jesus is the one most holy Son of God, one with God. We understand this as Jesus as fully human and fully divine. Each of the Gospels portrays that in a different way. The Gospel of Mark is the most human of those four portrayals at, say, this end of the spectrum. The Gospel of John is the most divine of those four portrayals and is, say, at this end of the spectrum. Luke cleans up a little of those rougher stories, and Matthew's about here as a mix of the two. And so it makes sense that these words of Jesus would not have been in the Gospel of John but very much planted firmly necessarily in the gospel of Mark to communicate this part of who Jesus is. The gospel of Mark was written the earliest of the four too, around the 50s to 60s AD, give or take some years, about a generation or so, 30 some years-ish after the crucifixion. It's raw, the Greeks a little rough, And the theology in it, the Christology in it, is new and not quite worked out. Add to that what's going on in the world at the time. The Christian church at that point was suffering. Rome had burned in 64 A.D., the Emperor Nero blamed the Christians as a scapegoat for the fire. So the church was being persecuted. It makes sense then in keeping with the suffering in history at that time and the Gospel of Mark's emphasis on the humanity of Jesus that this final word of Christ would be firmly in the Gospel of Mark. What's going on when Jesus says these final words? Jesus is experiencing, receiving the worst of humanity. He's the target of slander and humiliation and derision. People are going by him in judgment. Scripture says shaking their heads, wagging their fingers, condemning, mocking, mocking, bullying, and taunting. It is ugly emotional abuse. It is likewise physical abuse. Torture, violence, capital punishment, and unbearable physical pain all wrapped up together. And all of this at the hands of the government, the community, the religious community, and its most prominent leaders at the time. Who would that have been? Think people like bishops and Billy Grahams and whoever the popular religious preachers and writers and teachers would have been at the time. Those persons others would have looked to for wisdom and guidance in trusting them to be the voice of God. Those persons were doing some of the worst of it. Imagine that. And add to that that Jesus' disciples betrayed him too. Those who had been closest to him had followed him, believed in him, also abandoned him. Not only Judas and the gospel of Mark, every single one of them abandons him. Mark chapter 14 verse 50 says all of them deserted him and fled. That's what's going on when Jesus says these words. I wonder in what way these last words of Christ connect with you and your experience and story. My own brother knows a bit of it. He was judged and condemned by the church he grew up in when he started dating a young woman who didn't wear skirts all the time and didn't cover her head and didn't wear sleeves as long as the elders of the church thought they ought to be. He was no longer allowed to take communion. What do you do with that? When the people who've baptized you and taught you what God's love is like turn against you in the church. I imagine we may have all tasted at some time either the physical side of suffering through injury or wreck or combat or painful disease or the emotional side of all that too, or as a victim of bullying or taunting or mocking and all that happens as we grow up and live in this world. And some of that too at the hands of those who say they are Christians. Maybe you know what that's like, but oh, I so hope you don't. From the bottom of my heart, I hope you do not know what any of that is like. But it's sadly a reality for some of us, isn't it? Our culture and the larger church today are polarized and divided and many people are part of that ridicule and sometimes we're on the receiving end or maybe sadly we're on the end of that's dishing it out too. What do you do with that? When the people on the left vilify the people on the right and the people on the right vilify the people on the left... It happens on a large scale. It happens on social media. It also happens when one person begins to pick on or condemn someone else. And others join in alongside. And the damage and harm begin. Heaven help us. Christ have mercy on us. That is not okay. In the midst of the worst that humanity dishes out come these final words of Jesus, and they're sobering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken, abandoned me? The Son of God, one with God, abandoned by God, what do we do with that? How are we to understand it? Did you know that the words that Jesus says are actually scripture? It's a quote, the first verse of Psalm 22, a psalm that Jesus would have learned, a song from that Hebrew Psalter when he was growing up and would have memorized as a kid. Jesus cries out in his pain, the first verse of Psalm 22. It is a psalm of lament, a plea for deliverance. It's a psalm, too, that, shall we say, plays volleyball with itself. Because on one side of the net, multiple verses lift up the horror of the psalmist's situation. Verse after verse depicting the physical and emotional suffering, many of which mirror what Christ is actually going through. And on the other side of the net, Verses are lifting up about God's faithfulness in the past and praise for God's steadfast love and abiding presence. The first side volleys. Why have you forsaken me? The other side volleys back. You have helped in generation after generation. Then this side volleys. Why aren't you stopping this, God? And this side volleys. You hear me when I cry. I know you were my redeemer. And on and on it goes with each side holding its own on either side of the net. It's a volley that often plays out in our own lives in times of suffering. And scholars have debated for centuries what it means that Jesus would quote this song. Dr. Mickey Eford uh, is a professor who taught at Duke for decades in biblical interpretation And I like the way he talks about this passage. He says you've got three options. The first is that Jesus means it. And he is standing, so to speak, on this side of the net. That in his full humanity, he truly believes he has been abandoned by God in his heart broken and shaken to the core. Number two, he says, it's a statement of fact that Jesus had in that moment actually been cut off from God because the sin of all humanity had been placed on Jesus on the cross and that distorts the relationship with God because Christ paid the price of sin for all of us. That's one view of atonement. It's an understanding of atonement that didn't come about until long after the Gospel of Mark was written, actually. Or the third one. That Jesus is leaning into that side of the psalm that believes that God is not finished with this story yet. And by quoting the first verse, Jesus is actually quoting the whole thing to make it not a cry of dereliction or a cry of abandonment, but a cry of faith. That Jesus believes that God will redeem even this So that sin and evil will not and never get the last word. God's love will. And that will be a word of redemption and healing. And if you ask Dr. Eford which of those three interpretations is correct, this is what he would say. You meditate and cogitate on that. And come back and tell me what you think is the proper interpretation. So I'll invite you to do the same, to meditate and cogitate on the passage and see which one you think is the proper interpretation. As for me, over the years, I've come to believe that I actually need all one, two, and three. Here's why. In the first one, for example, I need that understanding that Jesus did feel abandoned because when I am shaken to the core, I need to know that Jesus knows what that feels like too. And that helps me in my humanity. Reverend David Lose writes in a blog about 10 years ago that the point is not to inspire us to become more like Jesus and suffering, but to comfort us that Jesus is knows what it is to be entirely like us. And that God in Jesus experiences this and now knows perfectly and experientially what it is to be fully human so that one day we will know perfectly and experientially what it is to be with God. So thank you, Jesus. And number two, I need on those days when I know I cannot save myself and I need Jesus for it. And I cannot save anyone else or this world. I need Jesus for that too. Or as a friend of mine put it, I can't save myself but Jesus can so I'm going to let him. Thank you Jesus for that that something in this cross and the whole story of Jesus has something to do with our sin and suffering and forgiveness and salvation and 2 Corinthians 5:21 puts it this way that for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God thank you Jesus right and that third one Oh, that third one is where I want to live and plant my roots. I want to live on that side of the volleyball net that believes and knows with all my being that God is not done with us yet. And God is not done with our stories. Every day I cling to the hope that evil and sin do not get the last word in me, in us, or in our world. Amen. I need to know. That these last words of Jesus are not, in fact, Jesus' last words. Because he still has something to say because Easter is coming. Amen? Amen. And all has to do with this cross will be redeemed. Every bit of pain and suffering that comes with it. So thank you, Jesus. Which of the three interpretations do you need today? As we get a front row seat, front and center to all that Jesus is up to in our lives and in our midst and on that cross. Jesus says in his love for us, in his full humanity, in his full divinity, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Why indeed? They are the worst of his last words. And for any of us who have ever uttered those words ourselves, they are the best. Amen and amen.